is from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your, early, your earthly masters in, with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks today for your word. We thank you today for the promises that you give us in your word. We pray, God, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds today, that you would speak for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever put the wrong kind of gasoline in your car? I have. It wasn't pretty either. I'd like to be able to tell you that I did this when I was around the age of 16, when I first started to learn how to drive. And it was an honest mistake. But that's not when it happened. It happened when I was a PhD student living in Northern Ireland. We packed up the car. My brother-in-law was in town, and, uh, and his wife, and at the time it was just me and Gina, and our dog. And we packed up the car, yes, even with our dog, who was quite feisty. And we're in this little Toyota Corolla, a rental car. And when we're, on, we're on our way out of Belfast to make our way to the south of Ireland. We stopped off for gas. And that's when it happened. Normally, there are stickers all over a car to tell you this is a diesel car. Make sure that you use diesel gasoline. There were none of those, none that I could see at the time. And so I started filling up the car with gas. And as I started to do this, I noticed actually for the first time in, in all of our time in living in, in Northern Ireland, I had never noticed this, there's a, there's a little sticker on the, the gas pump that says, if you fill up your car with the wrong gas, do not turn your car on, call this number. And here I am pumping up the car, and I'm sitting here thinking to myself, wouldn't that be awful? <laughs> that would be a bad day for someone. We tend to think of ourselves as wise. 
we tend to think of ourselves as being in the right. And yet, we can be extremely foolish. And we require instruction. We require instruction on how to live wise lives. How to live out wisdom in our, in our everyday lives, even in cases where we find ourselves in less than ideal circumstances. And so we need to heed instruction that is given to us on how to live out wisdom in our lives. And that is exactly what is going on here in this section of the book of Ephesians. And this section is actually, we've been tracking through the book of Ephesians, and we've been hearing Paul talk about wisdom being worked out in various kinds of relationships in our daily lives. And so this is kicked off in uh, Ephesians 5, <clears throat> beginning in verse 15. He says, look carefully then how you, uh, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God, the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so this section actually leads into Paul talking about how we can actually walk in a manner that is wise, that lives out the gospel in our everyday lives. And so he tracks this through three different arenas. So we saw last week, uh, when we took a look at uh, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we saw this being lived out in marriage. What does wise living look like in a marriage? And so we see a constant theme of submission and nurturing that comes out in this. But then today, this leads us into two other arenas that Paul is going to address, particularly within the arena of uh, the relationship between a parent and a child, and we'll see that in verses one through four, and then in verses five through nine, Paul goes on to address the relationship between a bondservant and their master. And so if you're taking notes today, you can uh, uh, outline uh, what I'm about to say according to three points. Uh, yes, this is a good old three-point sermon. Uh, didn't want to do anything uh, too extravagant here while Chuck is, uh, Chuck is gone. So, um, so firstly, we see this. We see that wisdom is, li is lived out when children obey their parents. The first thing we see is that wisdom is lived out when children obey their parents. You know, in our culture today, we tend to think of this as kind of uh, an ancillary issue. We think of parents and we think, oh, they're, they're great people and, you know, this and that and the other. 
But we tend to think about children obeying parents as kind of a side note, less than important in our culture today. But as we read Paul in the New Testament, we find that he thinks quite highly of this idea of children obeying their parents, that this isn't some sort of tack-on thing. In fact, you see this particularly when Paul lists out uh, lists of sins, many of which that we might find to be pretty serious and pretty egregious sins. And yes, we can certainly recognize that within those lists, there is kind of a spectrum there. And yet, still, even there, we find in certain lists this idea of obeying your parents. So if you were to turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 30, he talks about slanders, haters of God, who are insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. That's a strong one. There's a lot of things that you don't want to be called in life, and an inventor of evil is probably pretty high up there on that list. But then what he follows with that is disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. We see this again in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 2. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasable, I'm sorry, uh, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, and not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid such people. Isn't it interesting that in both those cases, obedience to parents is listed, even in the midst of such egregious sins? And Paul points to this idea when he talks about the Decalogue itself, the 10 words, the 10 commandments, that when we find the command to honor our father and our mother, he knows that this is the first command in the Decalogue that comes to us with a promise. You may have noticed this in the past that when you read the Ten Commandments, they're very straightforward. Do not covet, right? These types of things. Do not commit adultery. But when, he points out that when it comes to honoring your father and your mother, that this is the first commandment with a promise. And what is that? That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so Paul points to this idea that honoring your parents, that a child to live wisely is to honor and to obey their parents. This is not some optional, ancillary tack on. But this is the way of wisdom for a child. Secondly, we find that wise living is displayed through parents who raise their children according to the faith. So in verses one through three, we saw that wise living is lived out in a child who obeys and honors their parents. 
But in verses, uh, but beginning in verse four, we find that wisdom is lived out in parents who raise their children in the nurture and in the admonition of the Lord. He says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Uh, Back, uh, we, we lived in Belfast for about four years. And uh, I remember one night, I, I've always had a bit of a sleepwalking issue. Uh, this was not any kind of major thing. Uh, this was just kind of a sleepwalking, uh, sleep talking thing that, that happened to me one night. Um, but one night, when we were uh, just sound asleep uh, in our uh, apartment in Belfast, in the middle of the night, I say, very, I say out loud, very loudly, very forcefully, Alexa, turn the light off. Here's the thing. We've never owned an Alexa. <laughs> to this day, we have no device in our house that listens to me when I say, Alexa, turn the light off. And I began to wonder, how is it that in the middle of the night, I find myself saying these words. It's quite clear to me that the liturgies of the world had creeped in to my daily life. My daily rhythms of hearing commercials, seeing ads for all of these types of things were forming my actions. So much so that in the middle of the night, Amazon has me saying words that I would not have said otherwise. And so it's important for us to recognize that it is not a question of if our children are going to be disciplined, trained up, liturgized, catechized, or not. It's a question of by whom. We need to recognize that this is not a neutral set of circumstances. If we do not bring up our children in the ways of the Lord, the world is happy to teach our children how they should live, how they are to think, where they are to owe their allegiance. And so it's incumbent upon parents to take an active approach to raising their children in the faith. Now, I know I say this, Maggie is going to be two years old on Friday. And so I have one child, a two-year-old, and you might be sitting here thinking, wow, well, uh, Dr. Young, your, your parenting uh, um, experience is quite limited. And so say what you will about that. However, I know this. Children are not brought up in the ways of God by accident. It requires intentionality, and it requires faithfulness. While we certainly want to acknowledge that it is God who ultimately brings about faith in the lives of our children, we get the incredible privilege of raising our children in the new covenant. Paul mentions two aspects of our role in achieving this. The first one, is discipline. Now this word uh, for discipline in Greek occurs about six different times in the New Testament. And it actually has to do with this idea 
of training and correction. And so we see that, uh, particularly if you were to look in Hebrews 12, we find a very close association between this discipline and this training and correction and this idea of sonship, that they go hand in hand. That the author of Hebrews, for the author of Hebrews, it would be unthinkable to have a child and to not train them up, to not teach them, to not nurture them, to not bring them up in correction. And so we find this in, uh, for example, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7, it says this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Is there, uh, are there left, uh, are they, um, if they are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And so for the author of Hebrews, it's unthinkable that you would have a son and not discipline them. That this is a reflection of the love of a father or any parent for their child. And of course, this is the way God relates to his children as well, that God disciplines his children. That is the, the argument that the author of Hebrew, Hebrews makes. And he goes on to say in uh, verse 11, for the, moment, uh, for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Maggie is reaching that stage where uh, it is quite clear that she needs discipline. Many will call this the terrible two stage. Uh, my mother-in-law doesn't like that phrase. She calls it the terrific two stage. Uh, for you parents in the room, you probably are nodding along and saying, yes, probably depending on what day it is, it can be either of those things. Whenever I uh, put Maggie to sleep at night, when I put her down, there is always a series of hymns that I sing to her. Uh, and uh, I feel like Chuck would be quite proud uh, because there is a kind of liturgical rhythm to the songs that I sing. Uh, there is a kind of call to worship even. And it always closes with the doxology. And I have done this over and over and over again. Uh, the, every night when I put Maggie down, this is what I sing. And one night, it struck me, uh, she really wasn't that old. I, I want to say it was probably, um, maybe she was a year and a half. And after, night after night, after singing the doxology to her, I got to the end of the doxology. And out of nowhere, I hear these words. Amen. <laughs> She's not in here now, is she? No. <laughs> and it struck me. I'm not a good singer. I'm not great at singing these tunes. But God doesn't call us to be great singers. He doesn't call us to be great teachers. He calls us to be faithful. 
And I can't help but wonder, I pray every time we sing the doxology that perhaps one day Maggie will be somewhere and she will hear the doxology and find her heart strangely warmed by those words. Children need faithful discipline and correction. The second thing that we find that he mentions is not just discipline, but also instruction in the Lord. And by the way, both of these tend to follow. It's quite interesting that both of these follow right on the heels of Paul telling uh, the Ephesians, the Ephesian fathers, not to provoke their children to wrath. Do not provoke your children to wrath. And that, that it's, it's quite interesting that this, is t- that this is right up against this idea of not provoking your children to wrath, but bring them up in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. And so it's quite important that children always know that the discipline and the correction that is brought to them is done for their good. I always struggled with uh, grades in, uh, in school, and uh, I, I was frequently bringing home uh, report cards that were less than ideal. And uh, one, uh, one time I actually brought home a report card that was particularly bad, and uh, I remember handing the report card to my father, and I remember saying these, I don't remember anything else, but I remember saying these words to him, Dad, you don't need to punish me. I've already punished myself. Has that ever worked? But I was grateful, I am grateful, to have been raised in a home where I never had to question whether or not my parents had my best interest at heart. And so it's important for us to constantly be reassuring our children that we love them, that there is a God who loves them, that we are for them, and that any correction that comes their way is ultimately for their good. But he not only mentions this, of discipline, but he mentions the instruction aspect, that we are to not just discipline and teach, uh, to train them up, but we are to teach them And we find this constant theme all throughout the scriptures. We see this, for example, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the the great Shema passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. In In these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you arise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And in one of the most incredible narratives that we find in scripture uh, is the bringing out of the Israelites from Egypt. We find uh, this incredible story of the Israelites being brought out from under the hand of Pharaoh. And within the midst of that account, we actually are given instructions. The people are given instructions 
on how to celebrate this act of God bringing his people out from Egypt. And embedded with that are instructions for how to teach your children. Isn't that quite fascinating? I mean, imagine if you're an Israelite trying to make it out of Egypt and you're having to leave in haste and you find these instructions being given to you about when you go on into the land and when you do these things, this is how you are to teach your children about what God has done here and now. And you might honestly be thinking, can we just talk about that when we get there? We need to leave in haste. But we find that these instructions are so important that they are in fact right there within the narrative of the Israelites leaving Egypt. And we see this in uh, Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 26. And when your children say to you, what does this service mean? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Egypt. Uh, 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 he passed over the, excuse me, passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. We see this again in Exodus 13, verse 14. And when the time comes and your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, Be, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. We see something of this in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, a verse that uh, should be quite familiar to most of you here at Christ Church. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Many years ago, I uh, heard someone give advice about what it's like to fire or to lay off an employee. And in doing so, this, uh, this person um, told this story about actually having to do this, fire an employee. And upon doing this, upon notifying the, the employee that they would no longer be working there, they became, they became very loud. They got very erratic. They started shouting, they started pointing. They started threatening. I'm gonna sue. And he said, you know what, I never lost my cool in that moment. He says, you know how, why I never lost my cool? Because I never forgot who was in charge. And when it comes to your children, I want to encourage you, never forget that God has entrusted you with the task of instructing your children in the Lord. This is not primarily the role of teachers, of counselors, of coaches, and yes, even youth pastors. God has entrusted that task to you. And so I wanna encourage you to live into that, to delight in that, and to be faithful in that task. You don't need to be great, you just need to be faithful and trust God for what he will do in the lives of our children. And then finally, in these verses we see 
wisdom being displayed in our work, in our working relationships. And as we look into this third and final category, it's important to recognize uh, something rather obvious about this passage. Paul here addresses slaves and masters, bondservants, as it's translated. This can be a bit jarring to us. What are we to make of the fact that Paul tells slaves in first century Ephesus to submit to their earthly masters? And there are different approaches to this. You have seen different responses to this that kind of fall all over the spectrum. Some talk about the differences between Roman slavery in the first century and, say, chattel slavery. And, of course, there are, in fact, important differences that we could, in fact, focus on to talk about those things. And then there are others who take perhaps a more cynical position, usually among those who are outside the faith that will say that, see, here Paul openly endorses slavery. But the reality of it is, is that when we read this passage, we find that Paul never actually addresses the institution of slavery in this passage, which is to say that he never explicitly condemns or condones the institution. Rather, Paul addresses the people who are caught up in these institutions in Ephesian society. His interest is in instructing the people caught up in 